for a while. And of course, in primary care, we're very used to being uh, the folks who are providing uh, these vaccinations. I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the December 11th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. There you will also find all of our previous COVID-19 programs and have access to other free CE programs on a wide range of topics. Today's learning objectives are describe strategies to counter vaccine hesitancy and discuss currently available safety data pertaining to the messenger RNA vaccine that recently received emergency use authorization. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Awater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. He will be interviewing Dr. Chuck Vega from UC Irvine School of Medicine. Dr. Awater, Dr. Vega, thank you for your times. Well, uh, thank you, Faith, and I'm just delighted that uh, Dr. Vega has joined us. Uh, he has uh, uh, great expertise in um, uh, primary care and, uh, and also respiratory diseases, and uh, we have perhaps one of the most significant ones in the last 100 years with the coronavirus. But uh, today, on December 10th of 2020, we're on the cusp of the Food and Drug Administration likely granting emergency use authorization for at least the first COVID-19 vaccine in the United States, and that's the BioNTech-Pfizer collaboration with a vaccine that's a message RNA vaccine, uh, which um, of course has already had approval in several countries, namely the United Kingdom and Canada. So um, Chuck, what, what's your sense just among physicians first? Let's just talk about your colleagues and so on. Uh, there's been enough in the news, um, not only uh, press, but uh, uh, of course, scientific uh, papers about these vaccines. And uh, it looks awfully good so far. Efficacy is outstanding and little in the way of serious uh, side effects. Um, lots of local reactions, but what, what, what's, you know, before we get into our patients and so on, what's your sense amongst your colleagues and, and even some of your staff, for example, what do you think the messages are there uh, at, at this stage? Because this has been hard because information comes out here and there. Here and there and everywhere. And sometimes it's quite contradictory, as you, as you know, depending on your, on your sources. Um, but I think overall, uh, the mood is very hopeful. I mean, how can you be anything but hopeful at this stage when we've had uh, therapeutics that really haven't, uh, you know, made, made, in a major way move the needle with uh, stemming the morbidity and mortality of COVID-19? Uh, we've been looking to vaccines uh, for a while. And of course, in primary care, we're very used to being uh, the folks who are providing uh, these vaccinations. So 
uh, that is pretty exciting. And you're right, uh, the efficacy uh, studies so far have uh, looked uh, very good for the messenger RNA uh, vaccines, both the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, uh, vaccine and the Moderna vaccine. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of encouragement there. Um, but you know, we also have to think about uh, other priorities, which are patient safety um, and tolerability. And then also, um, more than ever, I think, logistics and how, you know, what role will play in primary care, um, how will these vaccines uh, be distributed and ultimately uh, given to the people who need them most. And that's part of what the hearing is, is about today, I'm sure. Um, this, this news is evolving in real time, which makes us, uh, you know, such, it's, it's a challenging time, honestly, uh, to be keeping up, but it's also so critically important when we think about the, the global pandemic and the, and the, you know, devastating toll it's had across the planet. So, you know, we obviously don't yet have a Food and Drug Administration EUA for the vaccine. Uh, we already have seen uh, plans that are very state dependent. You have California, for example, on distribution. What have you heard so far just from your patients? Um, do they feel like the current allocations seem fair? Uh, do people that um, uh, perhaps really want the vaccine but realize that they're a little further behind the line? How, uh, what's your sense uh, this stage on the sort of fairness angle? I, I was worried about that. And I, I think that, um, you know, people should question, you know, how the rules are made and who is who is making uh, these rules. And, and I certainly hope that they are being made, you know, with not just, you know, the experts who are the experts in the science behind vaccinations, but the you know the experts who who look at public health as well and epidemiology um, and can really uh, design a program where the you know where the vaccine has its, has its greatest impact overall. But my patients aren't really focused on that. I've I've been surprised as I've had more conversations, especially over the last uh, few weeks with patients on this very subject. Uh, boy, I see a lot more vaccine hesitancy and resistance than I thought, and I think there's going to be. A much well, based on my limited example in Santa Ana, California, uh, mostly older adults with a lot of chronic illnesses, I, I think that there's going to be um, a lot more complacency about getting uh, vaccinated uh, than I was expecting. You know, with vaccines, we have two two sides of the coin, right? We have efficacy, and then we have adverse reactions. For, you know, as we said, the efficacy has just been quite impressive, at least in the short term here. Even after the first injection of the Pfizer vaccine, it looks by maybe day 10 already that protection is, is garnered at this point. That's really maintained uh, with the second immunization three weeks later. What are the, what's the one or two messages that you think you'll try to use to explain based on your knowledge so far and what we saw in the briefing document perhaps just yesterday uh, about this particular product to your patients uh, in terms of trying to convince them that this works? Well, I, I think that, you know, we haven't seen uh, major uh, safety signals and, you know, these are trials and have involved thousands of people. Um, I think that they're going to be highly scrutinized um, once they are, uh, you know, I, I assume that they are going to be allowed for emergency use. And so uh, once they, uh, once they're administered, uh, I think they will be scrutinized for uh, serious adverse events. Um, 
And, and so I'm, I'm reassuring patients, you know, that they won't be in that first tier to get the vaccine. That actually it will be, you know, healthcare professionals will likely uh, be in that tier who have some experience and, and they know, you know, we've all had lots of vaccinations, right? Um, we know what to expect from vaccines and, and we know that, you know, when there's something that's, that's off. I would also warn patients, and one thing that I'm, uh, I'm a little bit concerned with, you know, in terms of the, the broader application is, is the systemic side effects you mentioned. So while I, I, so far we don't see major safety signals from the vaccine, um, we can expect some pretty significant, you know, short-term reactions, um, you know, with, uh, with the, the reports that I've seen, over 50% are having uh, maybe some myalgias, you know, and some uh, maybe a low-grade fever, and that's going to last a day or two, and it's more of a nuisance, and it's not that, you know, incredibly dissimilar from maybe other vaccines, but it's a higher rate, and during a pandemic especially, when everybody's concerned about could this uh, vaccine, of course, give me COVID-19. That's that's always a, a tremendous concern on the part of the public. We're going to have to do a lot of education and reassurance of folks that if you develop those symptoms, uh, they're probably going to be mild in that first one or two days. And as long as they're mild, uh, you know, resolve, I would probably recommend antipyretics, analgesics. Um, I would love to hear your opinion on that, Paul. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, it's not COVID-19. And, and this is something normal. And you can go ahead and receive your second dose safely. Yeah, I think you're making very good points. I mean, local reactions are really very high. Uh, everything is much worse, as you might expect with the second dose. Uh, there can be fatigue, headaches, myalgia, even fever in 5%. And interestingly, younger people tend to have more side effects right. than older people. Now, those of us over 50 have uh, gotten the, uh, the, the shingles vaccine, the new one that also right. has an immune adjuvant in it. I'm sure you have some experience with your patients as well. Um, you know, I, I've had a number of patients who really just don't want to get the second shot. And I have a feeling this is like Shingrex on steroids. Uh, this is, uh, you know, this is going to be worse, but, you know, the health benefits of it personally and even from public health are, are far greater. I mean, I, I, I find that convincing people to take the shot for community good probably isn't going to carry the day. So most no. people are wondering what's going to happen to them. So, um, yeah, I, I think you make uh, good points, but how have you handled uh, people that were very reluctant to get the second adjuvant uh, zoster vaccine? Because, right. you know, we really don't want to twist arms. Uh, typically, I don't, uh, for people to do anything. Right. Yeah, of course, we want to be in alliance with our patients and, and and moving forward to, together, that's that's always the much more comfortable space for us as healthcare professionals. Uh, but it, it 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 does take, I think, an iterative process and, and just talking through it. And um, you know, with the 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 rate of those uh, systemic side effects with uh, with the uh, zoster vaccine, it's about twenty percent of people. So it's definitely worth the conversation of while I write the prescription, uh, what to watch for. And it is kind of that you know, ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It's thinking about how miserable folks are with shingles, how their quality of life is going to, you know, be substantially reduced, at least for a couple weeks while they have um, the active lesions. And then 10% go on to develop post-repeating neuralgia. It can last for months or even years. And, uh, and this is a vaccine that can take away that possibility to, you know, to a degree of over 90%. Um, that's that's remarkable, and, and that's exactly why. So I do return to the data, but I also tell you know my patients I make it very personal. I think that the key is, and especially with this first wave of healthcare professionals, 
we have the ability now where we can make it personal. We can tell folks, hey, I did get uh, this vaccine. Here was my experience with it. Um, but I also recommend it to my, my kids and my parents and you know, my, the people I care about um, because it's a, it's a life and death issue. This is, this is a clear one. Um, you know, sometimes I feel like I have to sell vaccines. Uh, the influenza vaccine in particular, there's a lot of misbeliefs about that. Um, this one, it's been, <laughs> it's been everywhere, uh, literally, um, and in the media for, uh, for months and months. And so, uh, boy, if we, if we can't get this one over, then, uh, then that's, that's just, that's just a, is a, is a tough statement. I, I just can't believe that we, uh, we won't be able to uh, vaccinate the vast majority of folks, but it will take a coordinated effort that, that, that comes down to the individual healthcare professional, you know, one-on-one -on -one with their patients. Yeah, I, I really hope so as well. Uh, you know, so much of this pandemic has had certain aspects politicized, unfortunately, which I think have been uh, to the contrary of the efforts, both uh, physicians, public health authorities, and so on. I think it's great that uh, three former presidents have all said that they're going to be immunized. Uh, and I, I think what I have told patients who have asked me, knowing that they're not getting the vaccine immediately, is that the vaccine is going to be a liberating experience. And it's not right. only uh, liberating because you might, it's so far, it, it looks like it's been entirely protective for serious infections, right? You won't need right. to go to the hospital. You won't end up in the ICU or die, uh, it seems, for the most part. And and also, it's liberating for younger people. You don't have to be fearful that you might carry the virus when you're seeing grandma, or you can go and see grandma, uh, or other people that might be at high risk. And so, you know, I think these are those kind of personal messages to try to figure out what would motivate someone to get the vaccine. And, uh, and I think the side effect profiles, at least with these first two, are going to be considerable, but yet, um, the efficacy of it, it's really uh, astounding, I think. And we're all, you know, I, I think many of us in the infectious disease world are very extraordinarily pleased to see how well this performs. Right, and uh, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that that will be a motivator for some, uh, for some folks, uh, but it, it, it's, it's always balanced, right? We have to think of the, you know, the whole picture in healthcare. And so uh, what, I'm, a, I'm a little bit afraid of providing too much reassurance. And so uh, pe people think, well, I got vaccinated, my two doses are on board, so I can go back to my normal life. And we don't know what things are gonna yeah. look like four months from now, 10 months from now. And, uh, and certainly, I'm, I'm sure we're still going to need some of those public health measures, such as distancing and mask wearing. That's not going away. But, oh, boy, to see uh, families struggle where, you know, we have these, uh, particularly seniors in my practice is really prominent who are isolated. It just breaks my heart. And it breaks my heart personally, for, you know, for my own family as well. Because, uh, you know, I know what my patients are going through because uh, we are going through the same process. And, uh, and if we can do anything to short circuit, um, that and, uh, and I think that will have huge impact on folks' um, yeah, mental health. It will get patients healthier again because they'll be able to feel comfortable about going outside, and all those things uh, lead to much better health outcomes in the aggregate beyond COVID-19. Yeah, and I think it's those kind of amplifying issues that if you get even the economy speeding ahead, people can get back to work. There's all those extra benefits that this is really highly important. You're right, we, we won't be able to just drop our guard immediately. That's, that's true. But hopefully we'll get to that stage sometime in 2021 where, you know, uh, whether it's normal 
or at least <laughs> less abnormal at this stage. Yes, that should be the pitch for 2021. Less abnormal. Let's 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 go for that. Let's but go. It, it will be, and the messaging will have to. You know, I I I'd look forward to seeing like a best script out there, or some best practices. Like, how do you provide you know strong enthusiasm for vaccination while also you know making sure that you reinforce the patient's need to stay safe and you know stay safe in the public domain, in their family, and with their close contacts as well. But I, I do have one extra hypothesis. That's my uh, that's my a huge ray of hope for me and. I don't know if this this can happen, but COVID-19 has certainly captured the world's attention, you know, like no other infectious disease in, in, in my memory. Um, you know, HIV would, would, you know, come to mind as, as well. Um, but, uh, but I'd say that uh, this is a chance for, you know, if these vaccines work, um, you know, it's going to be re really so much harder to uh, be an anti-vaxxer and uh, be vaccine resistant uh, because they have the potential to, uh, to save the world. Um, and in so doing, if, we, uh, if they are effective and if we move forward where we can deconstruct this pandemic uh, systematically, gosh, that seems like there's just going to be a much greater credence um, by the general public into science and the scientific method. And I think that's something we can also use. So if you want to think about things in a, you know, in a larger perspective, um, not that we always have time to in, in our practices, uh, but, you know, every time you vaccinate somebody, you, you could be having an impact on, you know, where we go uh, with regards to our future and, and, and believing in science and, and following its principles and its recommendations uh, versus not. And that, that is a major factor, I think, and a larger issue at play here. Yeah, I really want to thank uh, you, Chuck, for sharing those amazing closing thoughts. I think, uh, I think there's some of those corollary aspects that... Um, we'll learn more and more about. It's like the space program where Teflon right. came out and so on. We're going to have a lot of extra issues there for sure. So want to thank you again for uh, sharing your time and expertise. I'll mention that we will have a second uh, conversation, uh, which will focus a little more on strategies about uh, uh, people that are just uh, vaccine hesitant regarding all vaccines and how we might uh, work uh, with that group to see uh, if they might be amenable to immunization. So I want to thank everybody for listening. Thank you. Stay well. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19.